0: He's grieving for his friend, his brother. He blames himself and the poor guy can't
1: even get drunk. That is the real tragedy of the entire MCU.
0: (laughs) We never get drunk, Steve.
1: Yeah, dude needs to get a good stiff drink and get drunk and get laid.
0: I was just going to say, no, no, he needs to get laid. So I'm glad you added that part on.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is the biggest tragedy here.
0: Yeah, and Peggy just melts. She can't stay mad at it now. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast.
1: We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel.
0: Madams, Assemble. everybody. So today we are discussing Captain America, the first Avenger, directed by Joe Johnston back in 2011.
1: Oh, that seems like ages ago, doesn't it?
0: It really does. Like a lifetime. Yeah. So right off the bat, I want to say I enjoy this movie. It has its issues, drags a little bit for me in the third act. But overall, I like it. But one thing up top that absolutely must be said. I feel that Chris Evans deserved a goddamn Oscar for this movie. Why? Because he is totally believable as a dude who has never received any
1: female attention in his life. (laughs) And that is quite an achievement. I got to give it to him there. Yes, he does do that vulnerability and cluelessness really well. Yes. But before we really get into the movie, I have a bit of a confession to make. Ooh. I did not like Captain America for a very long time.
0: Oh, that's okay, me too. It took me a while to come around to Cap.
1: Okay, uh, how long did it take you to come around?
0: Probably till Civil War to really okay. come around. Yeah.
1: Okay, it took me till Endgame. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow, okay. So this must yeah. have been a different experience going back and watching this this time.
1: Yeah, it was. And this is the first time I'm watching the entire Infinity Saga after Endgame. So I'm looking at it from a fresh perspective. Right. Uh, the previous previous to this, I had watched the entire saga before Endgame, you know, as a recap. And I still didn't like him. And I kind of like pushed myself to watch it because I know it's connected My first introduction to Cap was in The Avengers. I had not seen Captain America before that. And by now, I'm sure everybody knows, I love Tony. And for Cap to just, you know, be so condescending towards Tony didn't go down well with me. And I kind of had a dislike for him ever since. I always found him too holier-than-thou... The usual, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed hero that can never do anything wrong. A a cliche. But now, you know, seeing him go through everything, seeing what he does in Endgame, it kind of slowly changed my perspective. And I'm looking at this movie from a fresh point of view now.
0: Yes. And this, unlike Thor, where when I watch it multiple times, I like it less and less, This movie, I actually enjoy a little more with each passing watch because of Steve's character arc. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get into all that as we go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. By comparison, I'd say I've seen Captain America, the Captain America movies, the least of all the other, all the other Infinity Saga movies.
0: Okay. All right. So this movie opens up in a similar way to Thor in that it starts in present day and jumps back.
1: Yeah. Uh, This seems to be like a a bit of a trend in the Marvel movies.
0: Yes, because now that I think about it, Iron Man started the same way.
1: Yeah, Thor did.
0: So the movie opens with uh, the American military finding Cap in the ice at first thinking, oh, it's probably a weather balloon, that old American cliche. (laughs) And I believe we just see the shield, correct?
1: Yes, we don't see him.
0: Yeah, which I like. It's kind of like uh, revealing the shark in Jaws, you know?
1: I'll take your word for it.
0: Oh, that's right. You're the worst. (laughs) You forgot. Indeed. All right. So we hop back to March of 1942 with Hydra invading a castle because Red Skull is looking for that little blue box that has caused so much trouble in the MCU and is going to continue causing trouble on Disney Plus, the Tesseract.
1: (laughs) We don't know him as Red Skull yet. We still know him as Johann Schmidt. Schmidt, yes. Yes.
0: Uh, This reminds me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where the knight's tomb is holding the marker.
1: You know, I actually put that in, that the start of the movie has a different vibe. It's got like this whole Indiana Jones-esque sort of vibe to it.
0: Wait, I got to put my feet fully down here. I need to check to see if hell has frozen over, because we just came up with the same movie reference. Mm Mm-hmm. No, we're good. Okay, good. So, yeah, let's uh, discuss Mr. Schmidt here a minute. Here's the thing. I think Hugo Weaving is fantastic in this role. Yes, he is. But sometimes
1: it makes me uncomfortable when an actor is a little too good. Oh, he is brilliant. He is a brilliant actor. I've, I've always been a fan of his. In whatever I've seen him do, he's always been fantastic.
0: Yes. Uh, The problem is when one is a brilliant actor playing an evil Nazi, uh, I feel like I need to take a shower after watching this (laughs) because he's so good that you both like and hate him as a villain. And back to Indiana Jones again, there's that whole villainous vibe with him. uh, As he says about the Tesseract, it's not for the eyes of ordinary men, just like the Ark of the Covenant. And not only is he a very Indiana Jones-esque villain, but the score also is. And we should point out that uh, doing the score for this movie is Alan Silvestri, who also did Endgame, Infinity War, The Avengers, the main Avengers theme.
1: Right. He's brilliant. He does a fabulous job.
0: I love Alan Silvestri. And for those who don't know, also did... Back to the Future. So, two of my favorite movie scores of all time right there. Okay. So, we leave Schmidt for the moment and head across the pond over to Brooklyn.
1: Yeah. Where we meet Skinny Steve.
0: So, there's a few things we need to talk about with Steve right off the bat. And the one that sticks out for me, and I'm going to... I get it. I totally get it. But we have to discuss... The fact that Steve Rogers is from Brooklyn in the 40s and has zero hint of a Brooklyn accent.
1: I wouldn't know. I really can't say.
0: Right. Well, those of us from that region recognize that this is an actor speaking with a neutral American accent when he should have a very pronounced Brooklyn accent for the time. That being said, as a person from that area, as a person who has a similar accent, I completely understand that Marvel said, you know what? Nobody wants to
1: hear that shit for two hours. Well, I don't know about that, but it would certainly be a lot more difficult for international audiences to understand what he's saying.
0: That is true. I didn't think of that.
1: Yeah, and another thing would be Considering how I know you and I know your accent, it's difficult to imagine Captain America with his gravitas and seriousness talking like that and being expected to be taken seriously. And by that, I don't mean you're not a serious person. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> don't don't trip her over anything. Backpedaling
0: on that one. I love but you. you know what? But you know what? People, she's right. Because I got to tell you, this is cleaned up for the show. Amy has pointed this out to me on a number of occasions. It's not a conscious thing. As I've said to her before, it's kind of like standing up straight when you're in, in school, when the principal walks in the room. So this is toned down. I completely understand. I would not have wanted to hear a truly Brooklyn Steve Rogers throughout the entire Infinity Saga, though I know that Chris Evans could do it if he wanted to. That dude is from the Boston area. It took him work to get to that neutral American accent he currently has.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he did. And I think a lot of actors need to work on their accents because of the parts of the world that they come from. Absolutely. It's part of their job. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So, of course, we also have to talk about Tiny Steve. And I think they did a good job with it.
1: They did a wonderful job with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it looks weird to us because we know what Chris Evans actually looks like. But it's not like uh uncanny valley in any way it's very well done
1: yeah and i love the fact that you know what that means
0: hey i've seen 30 rock thank you very much
1: okay (laughs) i've seen it just for the record before you scream at me yeah and me being really into like cg and stuff like that I was very curious to know how they managed to do this and make it so realistic. At first, I thought it was just, you know, replacing his face with someone else's body. But they went far more into this and they really frame by frame actually made him look skinny. Chris Evans shot all these scenes as himself and then they went in post-production and made him skinny. And changed his body structure, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, that's no small fee. And it paid off because it looks great. And I think yeah. fans, I know I certainly appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And they did have a body double who did come in and do certain scenes. But it was more for reference There a very few scenes that where the body double is actually what we see. And even so, the body double was still skinny down further. Mm hmm. So that's how far they went. And it's it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic.
0: And I really love this skinny Steve character, the true Steve Rogers that we see. I mean, it's all the true Steve Rogers, and that's the point of the serum. That's what I really understood going through, again, the entire Infinity Saga, is that this is what we see of him before he ever gets the serum. He is so pure. And so genuinely good. And that's what really brought me around to him. When it finally sunk into my head, he's not a caricature. He's not a cliche. He's the real deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is something I missed too. Yeah.
0: Especially when he's sitting in the theater here watching these old timey war shorts. It's simultaneously emasculating for him, but also fills him with pride. Yeah. Yeah. He could easily take his his rage over his inability to enlist out on other soldiers because they have what he doesn't. But that never even enters his mind.
1: Yeah. The thing that that really popped into my head when I was watching the movie again was that he had a choice. He had a choice to be angry and bitter and just go into a negative headspace. He even speaks about not having ever been close to a woman because of the way he looks, the way because of his health and all of that. Mm -hmm. He instead chose, he could have easily been like one of those incels.
0: Right. He could have been, he could have turned into a villain.
1: Yeah. Instead, he chose this path, the path of standing up for himself, standing up against bullies, even though he knew he can't actually cause them any harm, but he still was willing to stand up for what he believed in and doing the right thing and trying to enlist and do his part to make the world a better place. And he can do it all day. That he can. (sighs)
0: So, yeah, I think there is a certain amount of self-loathing, though, for sure, because he seems to kind of... Go looking to get the shit beat out of himself at times. Yeah, that's
1: true. That's true, yeah.
0: And that's when we have Bucky to the rescue.
1: Mm-hmm. With his slightly tilted cap.
0: Yes. And Bucky even says, like, dude, I think you might like getting punched. what's going on here? <laughs> and that's when I love this is one of my favorite lines in the movie. When Bucky takes a look at his Steve's latest attempt at enlistment at the papers and looks at the address, he goes, seriously, Jersey? (laughs) I understand, sir, and take no offense. So now we get to meet Howard Stark for the first time and we find out where his son learned how to make an entrance.
1: Yes, Tony certainly learned a lot from his father. Yes. Watching his father perform. Whether he realizes it or not. Oh, I'm sure he realizes it. Yeah.
0: So this is where we really see Steve's obsession and determination. And I love what he says here uh, in regard to enlisting. I got no right to do any less than them.
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. He again, he had a choice. He could have easily said, you know, I've got all these problems and fuck it. I I'm just going to stay here. Be safe. Let them do what they need to do. It's it, it could have been an excuse for him.
0: Absolutely. And another thing is that he could have made this about proving his worth to everybody else, but it doesn't come off that way. And it's because it's not that way. It's such it's this genuine altruism of wanting to do what he feels is right for his country against an evil enemy.
1: Yeah, for him. It's not about America versus the Nazis or anything like that or about trying to be the hero and killing as many Nazis as he can for bragging rights or anything of that sort. For him, it's all about doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, it's integrity. It's always about integrity with Steve. Yeah. But at the same time, I think his determination does blind him a little bit. To the idea of cost. And what I mean by this is if he is able to enlist and he isn't able to carry his weight because of his physical limitations, what could that cost? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think in his mind, in his mind, he's probably... Wanting to do his bit in any way he can. So even if he doesn't have to go out onto the front lines, even if he's just being able to do something at the back, trying to help the people at the front lines, he'd be okay with that. That's true. That's a good point. If he felt even for a moment that him being around would end up hurting someone else, he would leave. He would back off.
0: You know, I think you're right. Yeah. And I think he does prove that. And we're going to we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But right mm-hmm. now we need to meet
1: Dr. Erskine. Yes. Played ever so brilliantly by Stanley Tucci.
0: I love Stanley Tucci so much and always have. Yes. It doesn't matter what he's in. I will watch it.
1: Yeah. He is just brilliant. This, I think the entire cast in this movie is fantastic.
0: Yes, it's a great ensemble. Yeah. Spotlight is one of my favorite movies. Stanley Tucci won an, won an Emmy for an episode, a guest episode of Monkey Did. Again, one of my favorites. There's nothing the guy can't do.
1: True. Yeah.
0: The fact that a, a man so Italian could pull off a German doctor just speaks to his talent.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I've seen his other works. I've seen him in The Devil Bears Prada and The Hunger Games, and he's so flamboyant in that. And yeah, he's, he's a completely different character. It's completely different. Yes. You wouldn't recognize him. Yeah. And
0: his character here of Dr. Abraham Erskine reminds me a lot of Yinson from Iron Man.
1: Again, same thing in my notes. Yep.
0: It, it, down to the costume.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Jensen was Tony's catalyst, in a more emotional way and helping him build his first suit. Whereas whereas Dr. Erskine is more literal in helping Steve transform.
0: True. So Steve is yet again trying to enlist. But this time, Erskine sees him, takes a look at his file, and is like, oh, how many attempts at enlistment? And sees something in this kid and is like, you know what? I think we can find a place for you and signs off on Steve's enlistment.
1: Yeah. And it's a really lucky break for Steve because of the conversation that he had with Bucky and uh, Dr. Erskine was nearby to over here. If it weren't for that, he probably would have been in the same place with the same rejection as before. Serendipity.
0: Yep. So then we got to head over to the mountains real quick for a Hydra tete-a-tete and speaking of perfect casting uh, Toby Jones you little fucking creep as Dr. Zola
1: <laughs> interesting thing in the comics Dr. Zola is actually an android with a TV for a face
0: well he kind of becomes that in Winter Soldier but for now yeah
1: yeah and if you notice the first time we see him we see him through a screen like a round screen
0: oh Okay, that's a nice call back then on their part. Yeah,
1: it's a little nod to his original character.
0: Yeah. And I have never seen Toby Jones play anything but a gross little creep. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, me neither. And I think he does it really well.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. With that face. Come on. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure when he was born, they're like, Madam, you've got yourself a villain.
1: <laughs> oh, come on, poor guy.
0: So I have in my notes he does it well. Yeah, he does. He's made a career of it, so he's fine.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's his face that we assume he does it well, or if he actually is that talented.
0: I think it's both.
1: Mm, he was fantastic.
0: He was fantastic on Sherlock, too. So I have in my notes here the gist of this Schmidt and Zola figure out how to use the Tesseract
1: to do evil Nazi stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's basically
1: it. Yeah. They basically are able to harness the Tesseract's power to do evil stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So then we head back over to the States. Where we meet the love of Amy's life.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, we meet Peggy, Agent Peggy Carter.
0: And she is letting all these men know who's boss immediately. Yeah, baby. Just immediate sucker punch. Fucking love it. Yeah, that's my Peggy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and she is a shrewd woman. She knows exactly how to earn all of their not only respect but obedience.
1: Yeah, she does. And she has to, considering she's in the in the forties, surrounded by soldiers, she couldn't have been in a more machismo environment. Absolutely. For her, it's vital to gain that respect and obedience immediately. Or they treat her like crap.
0: Yep. I wish I could say times have changed. I mean, they have, but not enough.
1: Things are getting better, but there's still a ways to go.
0: Yeah. And again, we have to credit the casting here, not only for Peggy, but Tommy Lee Jones is perfect as the colonel. Yeah,
1: yeah he is. He is.
0: He is the ultimate, like, of our generation, the craggy-faced, crusty old war veteran. Yeah, and for our younger listeners, that's not makeup, guys. That's just his face.
1: What's that supposed to mean?
0: Oh, he has been ravaged by time. Oh, okay. He is basically now a (laughs) Sharpe. So I have some experience with boot camp as my husband's been through basic training with the military. You can't really bring much with you. You pretty much just bring yourself. And... Not much else. So one little detail of many that I appreciate in this movie is the fact that Steve brings a few books with him to boot camp. It shows, one, that they
1: are very important
0: to him. And two, he is a deep guy who has a brain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think books were probably one of Steve's most treasured possessions at that time. We know the complete list of ailments that he has, he clearly doesn't seem to go out much. He's more, he's got like one close friend. So books are probably his friends. That's very true. He must have spent countless hours reading books and escaping to another world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in that vein of showing Steve's intelligence, we see it in the flagpole scene.
1: Yes, we do. You know, that scene was actually done when they were doing reshoots because they wanted to add in a scene to show that Steve is not just this dumb bloke who wants to get into the military. He has a brain. He knows how to think outside the box.
0: I'm so glad they added it in because I think it's one of the most important scenes of the movie. It is. Yeah. And Peggy loves this. She's got a smile on her face as Steve gets into the Jeep because he's allowed to get a ride back now that he got the flag down. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting here, sign of the times, and interesting to look at with 2020 eyes, is that Peggy yells back at the men, come on, ladies.
1: Yeah, that stood out.
0: Yes, absolutely it did. Because she's 100% being misogynistic. Yeah, she is. So it's an interesting writing choice because... Because it is a reflection of the time period. Absolutely. But it also kind of portrays Peggy in a negative light. How so? Because she's being misogynistic. No, there are no women around to hear it. But that doesn't change the fact that she's, it's tough because she's both reinforcing a negative stereotype about women, but also disproving the stereotype with her very existence.
1: Yeah. It is an interesting thing, and it does stand out in the movie. And, well, we've seen Peggy Carter after this in her own show and the other movies that she's been in. This is not the Peggy Carter that we know post the first Avenger. She wouldn't have said that.
0: So credit the writers moving forward on the show in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So then we come to another fantastic scene that shows... We've seen Steve's intelligence. Now we're going to see his bravery and his purity of heart. Again, this is reminiscent of Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade going through all of these various tests in right. the chamber. And in this case, it's a, quote, live grenade.
1: Right. Yeah. And he jumps on it to save everyone else.
0: And it's at that point that Erskine is like, there's your guy. Because Tommy Lee Jones wants to pick some douche for the Captain America program.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I love his line where he says, you stick a needle in his arm, it'll come out from the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might have been right about that. Yeah. And there's one line in between somewhere where he says, can someone get him a sandwich? <laughs> yeah.
0: But Erskine knows best and he says to him, nope, that other guy you're looking at, he is a bully. And that's exactly the problem because this serum, it enhances the person's physical abilities, but it also enhances whatever their core emotional being is.
1: Right. Yeah. And he's speaking from experience, which we don't know yet.
0: Right. So then... Erskine has to talk Steve into this. This is a wonderful scene. Great dynamic between the two of them at St- in Steve's dorm.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say Erskine needs to talk him into it because Steve has already said yes. He just wants to know why him.
0: Yeah. Well, he needs to fill him in. And I think this is also a great example of an exposition dump.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And I want to mention here, Erskine talks a lot about the Nazis and and the occult history that they come from right i want to make sure people know that shit is true
1: yeah it is
0: the nazis were into madame blavatsky and all kinds of crackpot magic if you guys want a really good primer on the Nazis and all their occult beliefs, go listen to a few of my favorite people over at Last Podcast on the left and check out, it's a years back now, but check out their two-part series on the Nazis and the occult. It's bonkers.
1: Yeah, these guys were reading some weird shit.
0: Yeah, so here we find out that Johann Schmidt forced Erskine to make this super soldier serum and we find out that it enhanced the evil that was already inside of Schmidt.
1: Yeah, and it transformed him.
0: So what he explains is that the man chosen is much more important than the serum itself. And this is the key to Steve's character arc. Yeah. And this scene, even though it's a fairly brief scene, it is so full of great lessons about strength and power and compassion.
1: It is. And it's also about choices, making the right choice at any point of time
0: no matter what it costs
1: yeah yeah
0: and i love the way they conclude this with erskine pouring out these shots and he's like no no what are you doing no no you have surgery in some more you have procedure no i think yeah. i <laughs> love it
1: yeah yeah i really wish they would have had a chance to actually have the drink after the procedure
0: well it's not like steve can get drunk anyway which he finds out later unfortunately
1: yeah well but it is a sentimental thing
0: so while steve is mentally preparing for this procedure we got to head back over to the hydra lair
1: yeah where schmidt is having a a self-portrait done
0: because every villain needs a good portrait
1: yeah and i think it's an interesting thing where till now we have not seen schmidt as the red skull we've only seen him and with his mask on but we get a Quick little hint of the amount of red on the painter's palette.
0: Yes. It's a good detail. It's a good little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. You know, I give him credit for reining in the ego a little bit and having it be a self-portrait instead of a sculpture.
1: (laughs) Maybe that would have come for later, after world domination. Possibly. Mm -hmm.
0: They need the marble for the war effort right now. Got to save it. (laughs) We head back over to Brooklyn. And there's a real bonding moment between Steve and Peggy in this cab ride where she says to him that, like him, she knows what it's like to have every door
1: shut in her face. Yeah.
0: They're kindred spirits in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, they are. I think it's a very important scene to have to show that they have a connection before Steve becomes Cap.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, a thousand percent
1: yeah because then it could easily be perceived as just a sexual connection for her but it's not for her it's more about him as a person
0: agreed though it does help oh yeah absolutely yeah we're not not denying that people definitely we are not holier than now for certain <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: i still have things to say
0: oh yes and both of them throughout their lives have not been taken seriously by men and have had to fight to be taken seriously. And if anything, Steve still isn't. Peggy is taken more seriously by men than Steve.
1: Yeah, she does. But she knows the struggle that she's been through to reach where she has. Yes. And he is still struggling. So she kind of understands where he's coming from. And we do have to
0: acknowledge that Steve is oh so clearly a virgin yeah, he pretty much says it yeah there is no doubt about this this just and this just fuels the fire going forward in the MCU of when does Steve actually get some because <laughs> I can't honestly see Steve Rogers getting a hooker I just can't
1: yeah he wouldn't that, no. that just wouldn't work for him no
0: no so it re- I've spent He'd way be- too much time thinking about this <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh I haven't just for the record now that you made me think about it I think he'd be too busy calling her ma'am to actually do anything Hey that works for some people Yeah well if he pays for it sure she'll say whatever works for you honey
0: I didn't mean like that <laughs> I know don't insult steve <laughs> And so when they get to their destination, I love this too. This is a a fairly empowering movie for women in a lot of ways. I love the old lady with the arsenal. Yeah. It's always the people you least expect who are secret friendlies and spies for the cause. Yeah, true. Yeah. And that's
1: true to true to life.
0: Yeah. I mean, it has to be. It is. Yeah. And we also find out that it is Stark Industries headed by Howard at this point. It's his tech that helps create Captain America. He has the equipment and the contract.
1: Yeah. He has an equal hand, you could say, to creating Captain America, as Dr. Erskine does.
0: Yes. So it's time to head over to the lab. And this is rough to watch. Was it for you?
1: All the injecting? Yeah. It kind of was, yeah. I did like that little bit of a joke that they have where... The nurse injects penicillin and he says, oh, that wasn't so bad. And Erskine just says, that was penicillin. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Buckle up, Steve. Yeah. That's just, that's nothing compared to what you're actually going to go through.
0: It's rough to watch because it is painful as hell for him.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it was.
0: And I give him credit for going through with it because he could have stopped halfway through. They wanted to. And he's like, no, no, I got this. I can handle it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Little thing that I noticed, earlier when Dr. Zola was trying to harness the Tesseract's power, he does the countdown and he stops at 70%. But Schmidt pushes him forward and they hit the 100 and they are able to harness the power. At this point in the transformation, Stark also stops at 70%. Mm Mm-hmm. But Steve, of course, you know, pushes them forward and they hit the hundred and the transformation happens. So they both hit the bottleneck at 70 percent.
0: And it is at this point that we get one of the greatest scenes in the entire MCU. (laughs) Hello, Cap. Uh Uh-huh. And this was a genuine reaction on Haley Atwell's part, correct?
1: Yes, it was. And I totally get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of things I want to do to him, with him, (laughs) on him when Steve emerges from that chamber.
1: Yeah, all hot and sweaty.
0: And Joe Johnston, thank you, sir, for putting him in that two sizes too small white t-shirt moving forward. And those pants that
1: I think, I think, were they painted on? I know you're saying this for very different reasons, but logically it makes sense because when he went in... He was a skinny little dude. So when he came out, those pants were a bit too tight and too Mm, short for him. They sure were. Same goes for the t-shirt.
0: I'm sorry, Chris Evans. I know you were uncomfortable for a long time, buddy, but thank you. (laughs) We appreciate it. So Steve and Peggy are both disoriented for very different reasons. (laughs) And in the ensuing kind of bewilderment, a Hydra agent steals the serum and kills dr erskine
1: yeah fuck him
0: and oh god it kills me the way he touches steve's chest as he's dying as a reminder like he told him in his dorm to stay a good man oh
1: yeah yeah and i also loved that we don't really see too much of their relationship but clearly we can see from the way while erskine is dying The way he touches uh, Steve's chest and even before that, before the transformation, when Steve is a bit nervous while he's lying in that little pod, Erskine kind of touches Steve's shoulder there just as a sort of comforting hand.
0: Yeah, such a steady presence.
1: Yeah. So they clearly have a strong bond in a very short time.
0: Yeah. Also kindred spirits.
1: Yeah. Yeah. True.
0: And then we get this great foot chase. And credit Chris Evans here. I can only imagine how many times he had to do this.
1: In the DVD commentary, they mentioned that uh, it's something that actually I noticed even before that. Chris Evans' way of running is a bit different. Have you noticed? Well, it's hard to
0: tell because some of it is obviously CG too, and they have to speed him up.
1: Yeah, not not that, even like a simple jog. He's got a very bouncy, almost like a dancer's run. Okay. Okay, it's very distinctive. And because of the way he moves, they weren't able to use too many stunt doubles because of the unique way in which he runs. Interesting. So, yeah, so Chris Evans had to do a lot of his own running. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's clearly him. Yeah. And even a lot of the stunts, he's done them himself because of the way he moves and his his abilities, his athletic abilities.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's clearly a great athlete. Yeah, he is. Now, there's a couple of things I have to say about this foot chase. Number one, his feet should look like raw ground beef by the end of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was cringing so hard when he was running around barefoot. It's a bit of a pet peeve for me. Yes. I can't do barefoot. No. Me
0: either. Me either. But that's also because I have four animals in my house who just gross everything up all the time. <laughs> Number two, nobody cares about collateral damage in this chase. Everybody's just but- fucking shooting everywhere.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, Hydra doesn't care about it. Steve doesn't shoot anyone. Peggy does.
0: Peggy does. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Number three, he can fight all day. I can watch him run in these clothes all day. (laughs) And lastly, and I think this is well done. I'm so glad that Johnston included this and Evans does it really well. We clearly see that Steve does not know how to operate his new body yet. Yes. Yes. He's flailing and slipping and like looking at himself like, how do I move these muscles?
1: Yeah. And the fact that he falls into a window is very telling. Yeah. That he's not being able to even control himself while he's running. It's a nice way to really pack the action in right away. And it's a nice way to show us, the audience, how Steve is discovering his own abilities.
0: Absolutely. And this was so relatable for me as someone who spent so many years, very sick, very limited in the things I could do because of a couple different chronic illnesses. You know, when you start to heal and get better, it's actually a little scary because you don't know what you're capable of yet. And all yeah. of a sudden, all this change comes at you. And, you know, it's been a real balancing act for me trying to figure out what my new normal is physically. And so I totally relate to Steve in in trying to coordinate himself because I've, I've gone through the same thing. It's like, oh, did I swim a little too much today? Oh, should I do this yoga or that yoga today? What are my joints doing today and whatnot? So I really appreciated that.
1: Yeah, it can be simultaneously scary and it can make you feel like you're on top of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is terrifying in its own right.
1: Yep. But in this case, Steve doesn't have time to process any of it. He just has to get the bad guy.
0: Now, here's something interesting. Peggy has everything completely under control. Mm-hmm. But Steve thinks that she needs saving and kind of screws things up a little bit because she had a clear shot.
1: Yeah. And she was deliberate. She was standing there. She had her ground. She would have done what she need- what needed to be done.
0: Now, here's my question. Would Steve have reacted the same way, knocked knocked them out of the way, if that had been Tommy Lee Jones firing in the street instead of Peggy? Yes. You think he would have? Yes. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I was thinking that that was a little bit of ingrained. Misogyny? I wouldn't call it misogyny for Steve. I would just call it chivalry. Okay. ingrained chivalry of the time, thinking the woman, the damsel in distress needs saving. But now you have me thinking because of what he did with the grenade. What I think the real question is, did he think Peggy was in danger or that she couldn't handle herself? And depending on the answer to that question, I think that determines whether or not he would have done the same thing if it were a man. Would he have trusted Tommy Lee Jones to get the job done or pushed him out of the way?
1: I think he thought she was in danger because it's framed that way. We see the car coming in and she's standing her ground. She is shooting. She has missed a couple of shots. She's got a couple of shots in, but the car was coming in at a really high speed. Steve genuinely thought she was in danger. And if it was Tommy Lee Jones standing there, he would have probably done the same thing. And here's the thing. It's not been too long for him since his transformation, It's hardly been a couple of minutes. He's still figuring out himself. It's not even registered. So this was him basically trying to jump on the grenade.
0: Yeah, pure instinct. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because if it were Tommy Lee Jones, he probably would have bumped into him as Skinny Steve and not even moved him. Yeah. And
0: Peggy is pissed.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, she had every right to be.
0: Yeah, I totally get where (laughs) she's coming from. Yeah. So Steve is able to catch up with his Hydra agent, but dude has a cyanide capsule in his mouth, commits suicide with his final Hail Hydra.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also like the fact that during the chase, when this Hydra agent takes the kid and throws him in the water, Steve actually stops to try to go and help the kid. Yeah, But the kid says, you know, no, I can swim. Yeah, it's a classic. Like, even the kid knows it's a bad guy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You take it. <laughs> and even so, there, again, see that. He knows the bad guy's getting away, but still he's more interested in saving that kid than he is in about getting the bad guy.
0: Right. Well, the important thing, too, is that Steve is able to destroy the serum. So at least he knows he's done that. Did he Did he destroy it on purpose or it just fell? He kicked it away and it broke.
1: Okay. All right.
0: But for the best.
1: Yeah. And soon after, we meet three Nazi officers who have come in to meet Schmidt and to get a progress report on weapons development, where Schmidt is just barely tolerating these guys. And these guys just are insistent that they need to have some kind of update or Hitler will stop funding the Red Skull. That's the first time we actually hear the term the Red Skull. And that's when Schmidt just basically loses it. He takes them to the lab, shows them the weapon by vaporizing them.
0: Yeah, I was okay with that. Yeah,
1: me too. Me too. Yeah. One, less, one less Nazi in the world. Three less Nazis, even better. Yeah. Yeah. But one key detail that one of the Nazi officers notices is that while Schmidt is creating weapons to destroy the Allies, he also plans to use the same weapons on Berlin itself. That is when we know that Schmidt is is not just another Nazi, but he himself is intent on world domination. Yes.
0: And what I love about this scene is that even the Nazis think schmidt is crazy do you know how how crazy you have to be for the nazis to judge you (laughs) and i also have to ask is dr zola worse than the rest of the nazis because he is clearly uneasy about this but goes along anyway i feel like zola
1: actually has a conscience just chooses to ignore it at this point you would think so but considering what else he's done moving forward in the Infinity Saga, I don't know.
0: Well, he certainly
1: evolves. But if he had a conscience, when he does get arrested in the future, in later on in the movie, and he is then, you know, told to join S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, sorry, join the SSR and all of that, he wouldn't have tried to reform HYDRA. That's true. I think he was a true believer. He was just squeamish. Okay,
0: I can go with that. Yeah, I mean, he's again, he's got that face.
1: Yeah, yeah. And in this movie, at that point, say in 2012, when we see it for the first time, I would have said, yeah, all right, fair. He he wasn't a true believer and he was just kind of there because he was afraid or whatever, you know, because he was there for the science. But knowing what has happened later on, no, he was just too squeamish about what his weapons could actually do.
0: Good point. So then we head over to a secret U.S. military installation where it is very clear that Tommy Lee Jones, the colonel, does not have an ounce of respect for Steve yet. Yeah, obviously. I get both sides of it. I think the foundation for potential respect is there because he has seen some of the stuff that Steve did in boot camp. But... As this old, craggy-faced war veteran who's seen some shit, no doubt, he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't care what they injected you with, buddy, you gotta earn it.
1: Yeah, and that's perfectly acceptable. Yes. It's understandable.
0: Yeah, and I think it's fine with Steve, too.
1: Yeah. In Steve's mind, he feels like he got lucky with these abilities. Now he needs to prove that he deserves them. He He needs to earn it.
0: That is true, but Steve won't be able to do that just yet because he's got to go be a puppet for a while. Yeah. He's basically a dancing bear.
1: I'd say a dancing monkey.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, at first it is humiliating, but he's kind of okay with it and does it because they're telling him this is important to the war effort. You're making a difference by doing this. So he's going along with it.
1: Yeah, he is. And I think it's very important to his character in a way. How so? Well, he has spent, we clearly see the montage where he spent a lot of time on stage and we see the progression that he goes from having the line stuck inside the shield to doing this entire performance on his own. He gains that confidence, that stature and his ability to inspire from this period in his life. He becomes a better performer. He becomes more inspiring as time goes. So later on in the movies, when he needs to, when we see him giving these inspiring speeches to the rest of the Avengers or anyone else around him. Or making
0: it, Paul Reds hoon.
1: <laughs> yeah, it starts from here. This was his training ground.
0: You know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. You really are.
1: I didn't think of it till now, till I, you know, once I've seen all the entire Infinity Saga. Right. This is critical to who he becomes, the icon that is Captain America. Right. That gravitas to lead. Yes.
0: So, yeah, he gets this valuable experience. But unfortunately, once he gets to Italy and does this whole performance in front of real soldiers, they practically throw tomatoes at him
1: yeah they do and this is where i think he realizes it it's kind of like a gut punch for him where he realizes that all this time what he was doing yes he was helping with the with the bonds and things like that but that wasn't what he wanted to do it reminded him of what he really wanted to do what he who he wanted to be
0: yeah and he feels like he He feels like an absolute disgrace in front of the people he respects most and wants to help most. Yeah. So after this humiliation, Steve is pretty down in the dumps and it's Peggy who comes along and is like, all right, enough with this pity party. Get off your ass. Yeah, pretty much. She's the catalyst here for Steve going on the offensive and really doing what he was Orin to do.
1: Yeah. And he gets a key piece of information that the 107th was attacked and he, and we know that Bucky was in the 107th.
0: Yeah. So he asked Lee Jones, hey, check on this name for me. And sure enough, Bucky is presumed dead. Yeah. Steve is not about to take presumed for an answer when it comes to his best friend in the world.
1: Yeah. So he takes matters into his own hands.
0: He does. And... He does. And the Colonel has zero faith in Steve to handle this. He even calls him a chorus girl. Yeah. And what Steve is about to show us is exactly what Dr. Erskine said, that in proving himself, it's not about being big and strong. It's about the man inside. Right. It's Peggy who believes in him and supports this mission and enlists Howard Stark to help them out.
1: Yeah. Which causes its own different set of misunderstandings.
0: I love this so much because (laughs) I, like Steve, I mean, I knew watching the movie, but for the longest time as a kid, I did not know what fondue was. And it does sound kind of weird. Is it? I think it does. It's a weird word. Well, yeah. I think it's it's French, isn't it? I think so. It sounds a little risque, you know? So, (laughs) Steve, oh, you're (laughs) such a virgin, Steve. (laughs) He totally misconstrues Peggy and Howard's relationship. And Peggy just kind of rolls her eyes and ignores this idiocy because that is what it is. (laughs) But it's just so cute and refreshing because, as I said, when we started this episode, it's so believable on Chris Evans's part to see this guy who is so gorgeous have absolutely no idea how to deal with a woman. (laughs) He has no experience. He is just swimming in the deep end right now.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And we see right at the beginning of the movie that even though he is on a double date, technically, his his date couldn't give two shits about him.
0: Yeah, and if, in his defense, he doesn't really seem to care much about her either.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's mutual. Yeah. But well, he does offer her some candy or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was probably one of those he wasn't what she was expecting.
1: Yeah, I think he's experienced (sighs) that many times. So he kind of just expected the disappointment and just went with it because Bucky.
0: Yeah, and I got to say, this kind of made me feel shitty about myself as having once been in this kind of situation. (laughs) (laughs) A very similar situation in a a blind date. This is right before I met my husband in which I had a blind date with someone who turned out to... Not be a liar exactly, but not be what I was expecting in a similar manner to Steve. And I was about to take off and make up some excuse when he saw me and made eye contact. And I said, fuck. (laughs) That was a rough night. I have never eaten a burger so fast in my life. Even the waitress looked at me with pity. (laughs) But hey, you know what? That guy
1: right now. Could have had a super soldier serum, for all I know. Maybe I've been catfished too, so it's okay. Oh, we've he wasn't all been cat. There.
0: No, he wasn't catfishing. No, it wasn't like that. No, no. But it was. It was a matter of. Oh, this wasn't what I was. This isn't what I ordered.
1: Yeah. Well, let's put it this way: we've all been disappointed, and we've all had mismatched expectations. Bet that. Fe- bet that chick is kind of regretting a decision now. <laughs> Her <laughs> loss is Peggy's gain. And what a gain it is. Indeed. For both of them.
0: So Howard's flying the plane and Steve, have you ever seen anybody so happily jump into a war zone? <laughs> this is what he yeah, wants. This,
1: yeah. This is what he wanted to do all this time. It's it's finally happening.
0: Yeah. So Steve has to go through the belly of the beast here to get through the guys captured in the 107th. And yeah. we get a lot of Nazi ideology here. It is bone chilling.
1: Nazi and Hydra as well.
0: Yes, both. They're, they're one in the same. They're one in the same.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: It is also timely. We can't talk about Captain America without talking a little bit about what's going on in 2020, people. That's just a fact. We're not going to dwell on this, but it has to be mentioned that this type of ideology, doesn't matter what you call it, doesn't matter what you cloak it in, it never seems to die.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, this is the beginning of Hydra of in the Marvel Universe that has l- gone on since, since well, since the 1940s in the Marvel Universe Till twenty twenty five or whatever in Endgame. And it still went on till Agents in Agents of Shield, till the last season.
0: This is true. We can't ignore it, people.
1: Yeah, it's like they say, cut off one head and another one pops up.
0: So here's another little bit of great character casting. I love Neil McDonough in this role. It was very nice to see him in this movie.
1: Oh yeah, he is fantastic he always tends to play more negative roles so it was quite refreshing to see him
0: it's true because he also has one of those faces
1: yeah he does
0: and those eyes of his really stand out
1: yep yeah i don't think i can ever forget him as damien Darth in arrow and legends of tomorrow
0: i can understand that yeah and at first, they don't take Steve seriously either. Like, what the hell are you doing in here? And he's like, "Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. I've knocked out Adolf Hitler over 200 times."
1: Yeah. <laughs> and here we actually get to see the high dragoons, the soldiers, for yeah. the first time as a close-up. And if you notice that they've their faces have been covered, so here we only see like a bit of their mouth. The rest of the face is covered up with glasses and things like that. And later on in the movie, we are to see some of them with their mouths completely closed. They're like they're literally, you can't see a face. And that's a very common tactic of dehumanizing the enemy. Absolutely. You know, a lot of movies do that. A lot of video games do that. It's just a way of, and I'm sure it's a thing, it's a military tactic as well, where you're kind of brainwashed into thinking that your enemy is subhuman, so killing them won't affect you the same way it would like a normal person killing someone else.
0: Right, they're a targeted object, not a person.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's, it's very telling, and it kind of reminded me a lot about Star Wars, Stormtroopers.
0: Okay, I can understand that. Hmm. And I love this whole sequence because Steve is just kicking Hydra ass all over the damn place.
1: Yeah. Once he frees these prisoners, they all get the revenge they wanted.
0: And one thing that really stuck out to me here, and uh, again, this was a throwback to history, is Zola running like this little slimy coward with his notes. Right. That is exactly what Joseph Mengele did. Okay. Exactly. He... Saved all his precious, what he called research and his notes, and took it with him to South America and kept that shit till the day he died. Mm hmm. It's uh, ugh, very well done here on Johnston's part and absolutely disgusting, which means they did a good job. Yeah, they did. So Steve freed all these prisoners, but he still can't find Bucky until he finds him strapped down and he's already reciting the words watching this in hindsight is just brutal
1: yeah we can see already his he has already been fucked with yeah which kind of also explains how he was brought back to life true you know because someone like a normal person with a normal physiology would not survive that fall you know i hadn't thought about that you're right that's true yeah, sure. He lost his lost an arm, but normally nobody would survive that. Yeah, I hadn't thought. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it. So that begs the question. So later on, when Bucky has been recovered and taken to wherever it is he's taken to and transformed to the Winter Soldier, was it a chance recovery, or was it, or was he tracked and then taken back?
0: I would think, knowing the Nazis and how methodical they were, that they had implanted some kind of tracker in him already. Possible. Yeah. But I, had, I hadn't thought about that till now. It makes sense. And I love the quick moment that we get between the two of them too, because Bucky's looking at him like,
1: what the hell happened to you? Yeah. Like, how disoriented am I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he catches along pretty quickly. He
0: does, yeah. Because, I mean, it's a few decades too early for a bad acid trip, so understandable that he would be confused. <laughs> and then we get finally... It's a great reveal of Red Skull here. Perfect timing. Johnson does a great job with this scene and Hugo Weaving is just brilliant. Pulling this face mask off and seeing this hideous devil red face underneath.
1: Yeah. And the surroundings, it's on fire. It's like you're in hell and you're face to face with the devil.
0: Yeah. And I mean, not far off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's any place that could be described as hell on earth, it was the Nazi
1: concentration camps of the 40s. Agreed. This is the first time we see Cap meet his arch nemesis, the Red Skull. Yeah. And it's so beautifully done, the cinematography, the two of them in, in silhouette against the fire. They kind of go at it, you know, punching each other a little bit, but not for too long. I think the scene is just, Brilliantly done, and Hugo Weaving—he really owns this character. This, ca- this, the stature, the the long flowing coat, the way he carries himself. Yes, he's he does a brilliant job. This, yeah. this entire scene is just fantastic. Yeah, a little too good. Yeah, and it's also pretty to look at. Yes, the scene overall.
0: So this is a major oh shit moment. So it's at this point the place is ready to blow. And Steve and Bucky realize, like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And Yeah,
1: because Red Skull just bailed. He ran.
0: Yeah. And this is a true testament of Bucky and Steve's bond. They are, neither is leaving without the other. Yeah. They're taking all the stupid with both of them.
1: (laughs) And I like the fact that when Steve jumps and he gets covered in this fire and we don't actually see him reached the other side.
0: Yes, I agree 100%. It was very well done. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's better to not have finality in a scene and to just let it hang there for a minute. Like, we know he's going to be fine.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But that added something to it.
1: Hmm. And we see Red Skull and and Dr. Zola make their escape. Red Skull takes his little helicopter capsule hybrid thingy while dr zola takes the car right i must say that capsule thingy in terms of physics it didn't quite make sense to me we're
0: gonna go there really you want to talk about all the
1: things at the mcu that don't make sense for physics <laughs> yeah but this one was a, is a bit glaring
0: well i think part of the point is to say that hydra and the nazis were developing advanced technologies
1: yeah they were And interestingly, this particular thing, the capsule helicopter thingy, was actual Nazi plans. Yes. They've taken inspiration from actual plans of weapons and vehicles that they weren't able to produce at that time.
0: Yeah, they had all kinds of crazy ideas. Batshit crazy. Yeah. So back at the front, we have Tommy Lee Jones writing all of these guys off as dead And it really pisses me off. He blames Peggy for all of this, but she stands up for herself because he has the nerve to say to her, they're dead because you had a crush.
1: Right. Fuck you.
0: Fuck you, old man.
1: Well, that's the misogyny showing. I know. I know.
0: But that, that means he's doing his job for me to think, fuck you, old man.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a brilliant actor, but in this role, he's a fucking ass.
0: Right, and he's supposed to be. Yeah. But it made me angry because this wasn't the case. This wasn't Peggy believing in him because she had a crush. This was Peggy believing a soldier could carry out a mission. And damn it, she was fucking right.
1: Yeah, and she was proven right just a few minutes later.
0: Exactly. He would never... Tommy Lee Jones would never talk to a man this way. He just makes this assumption because she's a woman. It can't possibly be the result of a genuine tactical decision. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this scene kind of reminded me of, of a scene in the pilot of Agent Carter, where she is one of her male counterparts, basically dismisses her and her place in this agency because... She was the crush of Captain America. That's the only reason why she was given the position she was. Right. Ridiculous. And she obviously then goes goes ahead and proves herself, her worth. But this scene reminded me of that.
0: It is frustrating, though, how many times Peggy Carter will have to prove her worth over time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we're still doing that. Today, in 2020, where women have to prove their worth 10 times over compared to a man. Absolutely. And then we come to another fantastic scene in this movie. There are a lot of just really great scenes, standalone scenes in this movie. A lot of iconic scenes. Yes, there really are. And lines, too. When Steve and the guys get back, oh, my God, the triumph.
1: You know, that scene is a perfect mirror to a scene earlier on in the movie. We see. Do you, do you remember the montage where he is playing the role of Captain America in a movie? He's pretending to be on the front lines and he has actors and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, so in that ridiculous costume of his, he's standing, he's walking tall in front of a group of soldiers who are coming back victorious after a fight. And in this scene, he's doing that in reality. Right. It's a good point. So it's like a perfect mirror for him. His, this, These two scenes are a culmination of his growth. That's true.
0: And you know what else I love about this scene is that for two minutes, two minutes, I got to remember what it felt like to ever be proud to be an American. <laughs> Just for two minutes. What a nice nostalgic feeling that I haven't had since I was, oh, I don't know, 14. Okay. So that felt pretty good. And then I, you know, came back to reality very, very quickly and remembered everything. And what I really love about Steve in this scene is that he could so easily rub this in Tommy Lee Jones's face, but he doesn't.
1: Yeah. In fact, he says that I will surrender for disciplinary action.
0: Yeah. And the colonel's just like, yeah, I don't think that's going to be necessary. <laughs> pardon <laughs> pardon me. I have to go eat a large amount of crow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He could have easily chewed him out just to soothe his own ego, but he didn't.
0: And also, I want to see if you had the same reaction to this. Okay. The look on Peggy's face when she stands in front of Steve.
1: Yeah, it's a good thing there were too many people around.
0: Yes, because otherwise she'd have jumped him right on that ground.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And you know, we haven't talked about it yet. This is a good point to discuss it. Haley Atwell and Chris and Chris Evans have incredible chemistry.
1: They do. Yes. If
0: 20 years from now, it comes out in some publication, I don't know, and it's truth in some kind of interview, that the two of them had an affair while making this movie. I would believe it 100%. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised either. Like Throughout this movie, every time they're on screen together, I keep waiting for something to catch on fire.
1: <laughs> either one of their pants would, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but their chemistry is it's intense.
0: Even more so than say Tony and Pepper. That that wasn't as sexual as this is.
1: Yeah, Tony and Pepper is more mature love and respect.
0: Yes. And there is plenty of that too with Steve and Peggy, but it's definitely more physical.
1: Yeah. The physical aspect is there too, yes.
0: And not that Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. are unattractive people. They're not. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But Steve and Peggy are kind of at another level.
1: I can see that, yes.
0: Yeah, I know, you know, beauty is an eye of the beholder and to each his own and all that. And there's probably going to be people that disagree with us. But these two
1: just absolutely sizzle. Yeah, they do. I just want to say that I'm a bisexual woman. But I have a preference for women over men so for the marvel universe to have so many good-looking men and women that i just go gaga over is a testament to their magnetism their choice in casting and
0: not only individual casting but pairings
1: yes true Because it's very unlike me to be gaga over guys as much as it is for me to be gaga over girls.
0: This is true. I can attest to that. So Steve and Peggy have their moment. And then we get Bucky joining in the scene, giving credit to his buddy. Such true love between them. Yeah. So just because Steve got the 107th back, that doesn't mean he's finished. He wants to put together a team to take out Hydra. And Tommy Lee Jones shows his trust and respect in him by letting him choose his own team.
1: Yeah, he does. That's how we then get the Howling Commandos.
0: Indeed. And that group, of course, includes Bucky because he would follow Steve literally anywhere. Right. It's a nice flip of things, you know, because previously Bucky seemed a little more, we'll say, the leader of that relationship. Yeah. And now they're more equal.
1: Yeah, now things have changed. And we see that it takes a bit of getting used to with Bucky and Steve and that change in the dynamic of the relationship.
0: Absolutely. It's like when Peggy and Steve are at the bar and Bucky's there, he's physically standing there, but it's like he's invisible. Yeah. <laughs> Steve he is, says that. Yeah. And it's but he says it with a smile on his face, I think he's happy for his buddy, like finally he's getting some over here,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: but I think part of Bucky's also thinking like dude, that is the wrong woman for your first try. You are in deep water, buddy, <laughs> you need a life ref, you have no idea what you're doing, <laughs> and he's abs- well, he'd he'd be
1: absolutely right. <laughs> as as we will see very shortly yeah well steve does like to dive in head first right
0: it, that he does so we head over to howard's lab where he really learns the power of the tesseract firsthand
1: yeah that's that's funny that's a that's a funny scene yeah
0: yes yes
1: <laughs> put that
0: in the notes <laughs> <laughs> and that's i love that because that's totally something you could see Tony doing, too. Yeah. And it's such a scientist thing to do. Yes. So this is where Steve has a very unfortunate screw up with a woman I have heard so much about over the previous months <laughs> from a certain someone, a certain
1: co-host who
0: shall remain nameless.
1: Yeah. I wonder who. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I believe Natalie Dormer is her name, yes?
1: Yes, and any of my other fellow recovering Game of Thrones addicts will also recognize her. Natalie Dormer is... <sighs> she is one of a kind. You know, this scene, when I saw it for the first time, and any time ever, ever watched this scene, it. I have an existential crisis. <laughs> I do not know if I should be jealous of Chris Evans kissing Natalie Dormer, or Natalie Dormer kissing Chris Evans. I, I just, you one can't choose. Oh
0: my God! Well, I feel, I feel so bad for Steve in this scene. No, I feel bad for myself. <laughs> it's like Sophie's choice. <laughs> oh, poor you. Too many options on the table. Yeah. Let me hold on. Wait, wait. Let me go get my little violin. Hang on.
1: (laughs) Well, you be sarcastic when my fellow bi and pansexuals know the pain. Well, I just feel so bad for Steve because he is
0: so out of his depth here. He is. He does not, he has no idea how to handle this. And also, this woman is a predator if I've ever seen one.
1: <laughs> oh, and what a predator she is.
0: <laughs> this guy goes from never having received moments, a moment of female attention to in his life to be looking like a god. That is a <laughs> steep learning curve.
1: Yeah. But you kind of see he is kind of sort of trying to be flirty in his own
0: clumsy way. Yeah. But here's the thing. Okay, so we talked about him getting used to his body. That's something he's in that he's experiencing. He understands and recognizes like I have to learn to deal with this. But in terms of women, like that's something that's not even going to be on his radar as he's thinking about going after hydra he's at war he's learning this new body he's never received female attention before so it's not even something he's gonna think about until it happens he's not prepared yeah and like like i said very steep learning curve because chris evans is just uh, i do believe that he was carved
1: from marble and brought to life yes (laughs) yes I wouldn't be surprised, yes. But for him to screw up in this way, as you say, Natalie Doma is not a bad way to screw up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She's a very attractive woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't know how to handle this. Do you think
0: this might be the first time he's ever kissed a woman? Possibly. I think it I think it very well might be. And yeah. At, at least the first time he's kissed a woman without being slapped afterward. <laughs>
1: But here's the thing. Why would he be slapped? He would he is not the type to push himself on on a woman.
0: No, but he is the type to totally misunderstand a situation, and attempt to go in for a kiss when he thinks it's appropriate. And it's mm-hmm. the wrong I moment. So. Yeah. I don't
1: think so, because if you see, she was the aggressor. She was the one who.
0: Oh, she is. Absolutely. He is a sheep in the lion's den here.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't mind being that sheep. You don't say. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> so, of
0: course, Peggy walks in on this moment and she's super pissed. She thinks he's <laughs> like all the rest because, too, it's not on her radar either, really, that he's never gotten this kind of attention before. She's too hurt. Yeah. She's too hurt yeah. to even think about it.
1: Yeah. And she's probably thinking, oh, he's, you know, I mean, obviously... She understands that he would get the female attention, but he it's kind of getting to his head and now, you know, being the hero that he is, he's taking advantage.
0: Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Other than Peggy, this is the first woman he's really, like, come across besides the chorus girls who were probably, you know, kept away from him because they were chorus girls or whatever and just relegated to their role, but... Who has he really been in contact with?
1: See, now that's an interesting point. Just because they've been kept away doesn't mean that the girls wouldn't have found a way to flirt with them.
0: That's true, but I think it's safe to assume they didn't. Why? Because he would have handled the situation differently.
1: With Natalie.
0: Yes, this comes across as completely new and unexpected. Yeah, true. I mean, she is super, she's super aggressive, whereas Peggy is not. Peggy has been subtle. Peggy has been classy and elegant. This is like what she does, what Natalie Dormer here does for 1942 is the 2020 equivalent of walking up to a guy is just grabbing his dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot.
1: It mm-hmm. It is.
0: So in, in trying to diffuse this situation with Peggy, Steve just proceeds to throw oil on this fire (laughs) (laughs) by saying well what what about you and howard don't you fondue (laughs) dude is an idiot (laughs) (laughs) oh steve i love you but you are an ass yeah yeah he is that's what howard eventually has to be like it's cheese dude it's just spread cheese. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean if you want to combine the two things, that's fine. As long as the cheese isn't too hot. Otherwise that could get painful. But you know, I'd be fine with that.
1: That is fondue, combining cheese and bread. I uh, I meant cheese and bread with other endeavors. Ah, yeah, I see. Okay.
0: The uh, jo- the Joey uh, Tribbiani uh, way.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, um I was still too busy thinking about Natalie Dormer to think about anything else. Come back to me. Mm. Come back. See, now that's no fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Howard also gives a little foreshadowing for himself and for Tony about how he focuses on his work so much that, you know, he doesn't have time for relationships. And that, you know, is something we're going to see for Tony moving forward throughout the MCU.
1: Yeah. And at this point, it's safe to assume that Howard is single. Yes. Or at least not married. Definitely. Maybe not single.
0: No, I think single for sure. He definitely seems like a guy who'd be out there playing the field just like his son did.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then another fantastic scene. Peggy shooting Steve's shield (laughs) is the greatest thing ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, the aggression there.
0: Yes, I love her so much. And the looks on their faces, they are simultaneously aroused and terrified.
1: Yeah. It makes me wonder whose face she saw while she was shooting the shield. Oh, Steve's, 100%. Okay. Definitely.
0: <laughs> but yeah, she did the job. Yep, it works. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we're back at the front and we're watching a montage here of Steve on film going after Hydra. Now, I have to ask you how you felt about this. Okay. We see that in Steve's pocket watch, he has that picture of Peggy in there already. And everybody else sees it. This is on film. Right. Half of me. Half of me absolutely melts because this is the most romantic, sweetest thing in the world. And half of me wants to strangle Steve because, dude, you're being filmed. She is a woman trying to be taken seriously in a man's world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? Well, In his defense, the minute he realizes that the cameraman is zooming in on it, he shuts the compass. He
0: does. But what's done is done.
1: Yeah, what's done is done. He probably should have put his foot down and told that guy not to put that scene in.
0: He did have bigger fish to fry. I understand that. But I also wish Peggy had kind of reacted differently.
1: How? She was in a theater on the other side of the world, presumably.
0: I know, but she smiles. She likes it. And part of me wants her to get a little upset. Like, dude... You're undermining my street cred.
1: (laughs) I think if you notice, the smile is to herself. In a dark theater, like when Tommy Lee Jones sees this and he looks at her, she has a straight face. When he looks away, she smiles.
0: Uh, I don't know. I'm torn because I mean, if I if I'm her, I'm like, yes.
1: And at the same time, they had still not cleared up the whole Natalie Dormer kissing thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. So that was kind of like an inadvertent way of Steve saying, you're my girl.
1: Yeah. And if you notice, it was a newspaper clipping that he cut out and took a picture. Yeah, true. It wasn't an actual picture that he'd taken. So she didn't know about it. Oh,
0: God, I'm just so glad they got
1: their happy ending. <laughs> I couldn't take it. Yeah, well, at least Sousa got Daisy.
0: So needless to say, really, uh, Red Skull is not pleased with these recent developments. That's putting it mildly. Yeah. So Steve and his team head up into the mountains. They're going after Zola on a train.
1: Yeah. And I find this entire, the, the montage and the team, their costumes very interesting. How so? For one, they're all wearing different costumes mm-hmm. It's not a homogenized you know single unit team. We know that they are all very different personalities true that, and they're like a ragtag team that have been that have been brought together by cap. They're like what the Warriors Three should have been if they were halfway through competence yes. yes, yeah.
0: Uh, I do just want to say there is no okay. amount of money on this earth that you could pay me to ride a zipline. <laughs> not over the mountains, not in Home Alone, not happening.
1: That zipline bit, the CGI over there, I found a bit wonky, but but that's saying a lot because it is pretty decently done and it still holds up all this time. It says a lot about how the rest of the CGI is so good. True. In the movie.
0: And can we talk about, though, how it's not that easy to just walk on top of a moving train? Yeah, of course. Because they make
1: it look pretty simple. Yeah, well, they are Captain America and the Howling Commandos. Still. I mean, well, it's three of them. It's Cap. Bucky. Bucky and... And dum-dum. So we already know that Cap and Bucky have, like Cap obviously has his super soldier serum and Bucky has his own enhancements already kind of going on in. So it may not be that difficult f- for them.
0: Okay. And speaking of
1: Bucky. Mm. Yeah.
0: No. I still can't well, take he it. comes back. <laughs> not in the best way for a while.
1: Yeah, true true he's he's got shit to go through now
0: and you know now that i think about it the relationship between steve and bucky is like a mirror opposite to thor and loki isn't it in what way the bond they're the brothers steve and bucky are the real brothers right and they have that true brotherly bond they do anything for each other and Bucky seemingly dies and comes back. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until just now.
1: Okay. Well, Thor would certainly do anything for Loki.
0: Yes, but not vice versa, which is true. kind of what happens with Bucky coming back evil at first. It's just, it's an interesting comparison.
1: Okay. I didn't think of it either. So yeah, it's that's interesting. I
0: mean, even, you know quote unquote, dies in a similar way of falling into an abyss. Hmm. True. And then comes back and stays back and just becomes part of the MCU.
1: Yeah. There is a process to it for him to come back and become who he is. For sure.
0: So they they are able to capture Dr. Zola before he scampers away like a little rat. (laughs) And this scene makes me hungry every time.
1: I know, right? The food looks good.
0: Yes, and I want some.
1: And this is saying something considering I've never had steak in my life.
0: You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm not a steak person. I'm not going to give you a hard time for that. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's more of the whole combination of everything. I do thoroughly enjoy broccoli, and I can't remember the last time I ate a white potato. So yeah, yeah, give me some of that food, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, I do love me some broccoli too. I would skip the milk though.
0: Yes, me too. But Zola's like, uh, no, thanks, I'll pass. Because as far as the meat goes, it disagrees with me.
1: (laughs) I think he was too scared that he was going to get poisoned or something.
0: No, I honestly don't think so. Because if they were going to kill him, they'd have done it already. I think that was him just being a persnickety little prick.
1: No, I think he was afraid because while he was in the interrogation room before Tommy Lee Jones shows up, we see the hospital bed, the stretcher there, and he finds a couple of drops of blood on the floor. Hmm. So I was wondering whether it was intentionally put in there to freak him out or it just was Maybe. what it was. Could be. So I think this was Dr. Zola being a little scared that he's getting this perfect plate of food It's too good to be true. And knowing that, you know, Hydra wouldn't treat a prisoner like this.
0: True. Yeah, I have to say, though, it did look under seasoned, but I would still eat it.
1: Hence, they did give the salt and pepper. True, true.
0: Yeah, I could watch Lee Jones eat for a while.
1: (laughs) Zola gives up nothing here, which is no
0: surprise. And then we see that...
1: So here you see that he really is a true believer because if he wasn't, he would have taken this opportunity to give everything to the Americans and get a cushy life.
0: That's true. And from here, we see that, indeed, hydro drones are gearing up to take over the world.
1: Yeah. And Hugo Weaving, again, absolutely brilliant. And in addition to not only, obviously, the sort of German accent that he does, he's also mimicked a lot of Hitler's speech patterns.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what makes it ickier for me, too. That cadence, yeah. the cadence of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So when he gave his speech before this huge crowd of soldiers, it you can see he's obviously done his research.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Poor guy.
1: The things one does for art.
0: Yeah. The whole time he's anytime he's on screen in this movie, I think about have you ever seen Atonement? No, I can't watch that movie. I think I made it through 20 minutes. Benedict Cumberbatch, I love you. You are a brilliant actor, but you are just a little too good at playing a pedophile, sir. (laughs) Couldn't do it. (laughs) So then we head back over to Steve, who's at the bar. And I absolutely give him permission for his little pity party here.
1: Yeah, completely. Completely.
0: He's grieving for his friend, his brother. He blames himself and the poor guy can't even get drunk. That
1: is the real tragedy of the (laughs) entire MCU.
0: (laughs) We never get drunk, Steve.
1: (laughs) Yeah, dude needs to get a good stiff drink and get drunk and get laid.
0: I was just going to say, no, no, he needs to get laid. So I'm glad you added that part on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is the biggest tragedy here.
0: Yeah, and Peggy just melts. She can't stay mad at him now.
1: Yeah, and you know, this scene actually, uh, they shot the scene during production, and later on during reshoots, they actually redid the scene where Steve is not quite so weepy and crying and teary-eyed. They did it the more, you know, intense and angry sort of way. But I'm so glad they decided not to use that cut and use this more vulnerable, teary eyed Steve.
0: Absolutely. Because I think, too, this scene helps Peggy to think about the whole situation and why she got upset with him and understand that it wasn't intentional on his part. Like she's seeing it in a different light now that she's had time to process it all. She's remembering exactly who he is.
1: Yeah, and of course, she's already seen that picture in his compass now. Right. So they get through that little misunderstanding without actually really addressing it, which is fine.
0: Yeah, I think it works better that way. It's an understanding between
1: the two of them. Yeah.
0: And again, it's Peggy here who's like, all right, buddy, you had your sulky time. It's time to get up and do this thing. Mm hmm. So... Steve is nothing short of a one-man wrecking crew heading into the Hydra compound.
1: Yeah, we see the Red Skull here. If you notice, throughout the movie, he has his long coat on. But here, now, at this point, he doesn't. Because now, with all the shit that Cap has put him through, with destroying all his bases, this guy is no longer just standing around giving orders. He's actually getting down and dirty and getting the shit done. Yes. You can see his composure is, he's a bit shaken now. Uh, the point here of what Steve's doing
0: is he's allowing himself to be captured so he can get in and be the distraction. Yeah. Because Steve can do this all day, people. <laughs> we want to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. So while Steve is the red herring, the rest of the team, the Howling Commandos come in, And start kicking some serious Hydra ass. And I'm sitting there on my couch saying, shoot that machine gun, Peggy. (laughs) That woman can handle herself.
1: Yeah. If it wasn't abundantly clear before.
0: Indeed. Now, I got to ask you, seeing Tommy Lee Jones driving this souped up car as they're going after Red Skull. Did this take you back to Men in Black a little bit? Because you know how they had their, they had their souped up cars. They had all the crazy buttons and gadgets and everything. I felt like this was a little tip of the hat to Tommy Lee Jones in a way.
1: Yeah, kind of. And he didn't seem to be unfamiliar with the car. He knew how to do the turbo boost and whatnot already. Yes,
0: exactly. And he was always, if you remember, he always drove. Right. That was his thing. Like he would never let Will Smith drive. Mm hmm. Yeah, so he's in charge driving, and Steve and Peggy are just along for the ride.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: And, you know, Steve realizes this is his moment. Like, I have to be the one to take these guys down for good. Peggy realizes the same thing, and <laughs> <laughs> she she is my spirit animal. She just grabs Steve and kisses him hard.
1: <laughs> yeah. It seems to be a pattern. The ladies seem to be grabbing him and kissing him because he is so clueless.
0: And he's, I love his reaction so much. He's too confused to be happy about it.
1: <laughs> and I love that Tommy Lee Jones says, well, I'm not kissing you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's
1: great. It's absolutely great. And Peggy just has this
0: self-satisfied smirk on her face. Ah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. She
0: did what she needed to do. Yes, she did. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have to admit, it's the last, like, 30 to 40 minutes of this movie for me that drag a little every time.
1: It's basically the fight scene.
0: Yeah, this this last final act drags a little bit. But okay. this crazy, like, gravity fighting between Steve and Red Skull is really cool.
1: It is. This entire sequence is pretty cool. The one little quibble you could say I have about this is when Steve goes in and he goes to this wing and he sees all these bombs why do the bombs have the names of the cities on it
0: that's more for the audience
1: yeah it is it's a bit too in your face but it's comic-y too at the same time
0: i felt like it worked
1: yeah true
0: and we have another parallel to indiana jones here where the tesseract actually turns against red skull just like the Ark does in Raiders
1: yeah and before it completely consumes him we get to see just a brief moment of like the entire galaxy and things like that a really cool effect yeah yeah and now we know where the red skull ends up we do although we don't know where Hugo
0: weaving ends up not sure yeah, why they true. not sure why they couldn't get him back I guess it was probably a scheduling or timing issue.
1: Probably, and considering the fact that the per the person playing the Red Skull, you wouldn't even know that it was someone else.
0: True. Yeah, it was. It was a good. Uh, it was a good substitute. Yeah. So Red Skull, he he causes his own demise here. He's taken care of. But the only way Steve can save New York from being destroyed is to take the plane down into the ice.
1: Yeah. Sacrificing yeah. himself. The scene between Peggy and Steve over here is. It's so gut-wrenching.
0: They had a date, Amy. They had a date.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <gasps> and the fact, oh, my God, with him looking at Peggy's picture while he dies. Oh, my God, I can't. Mm, yeah. Knowing at that time, knowing he's never going to get that dance, and neither is she, and that music, mm-hmm. that music that comes back in Endgame and goes full circle. Uh, What are they trying to do to me? (laughs) This is why I need Disney Plus shows, people.
1: You know, interesting note, this scene that Peggy Carter, Hayley Atwell is doing was actually her screen test. Interesting. So she was so good in her screen test while she was doing the scene that people in the screen test, actually had tears in their eyes. She was that good. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah.
0: And the fact that they're not even literally in the scene together, that they're in two separate places. Yeah. Adds so much impact to their talent.
1: Yeah. And they can't even see each other. It's just that staticky, crackly microphone. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's a testament to the bond they truly had. Yeah, And speaking of bonds here, after Steve goes down into the ice, we see Howard Stark desperately trying to find him. Yeah. He would not give up for some time. He found the Tesseract, but he didn't find Steve.
1: No, he tried his very best. And this is where I think Tony gets his resentment for Cap, because for Howard, Steve was his best perfect experiment gone right. He was his crowning glory and a good and trusted friend. Yes. So for him to have gone away so soon and for for Howard to have not been able to find him, it must have been something that he must have talked about a lot.
0: Yeah. I don't think there was anyone Howard respected more than Steve. Yeah. And that would have shown to Tony that Tony thinking that he never got the same amount of respect from his father. Hmm.
1: So I can totally understand. There was always someone else, mm-hmm. this larger-than-life figure. Yeah. I He was always there. I can totally understand the resentment. Yeah.
0: So 70 years later, Steve wakes up in a room that he knows is fake. And I love this detail because I grew up an obsessive baseball fan. I was a huge Mets fan growing up in a, in a Yankee household. So it was baseball from april to october in my house and i loved every minute of it so in steve's place i would know too if somebody was playing an old game on the radio right he's also not an idiot and knows he crashed a plane
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it would be understandable for him to wake up in a recovery room
0: yeah maybe and speaking of recovery i'll say it again god bless fitted t-shirts <laughs> the true stars of this movie. Mhm. Can you even imagine the sensory overload here he must have been experiencing
1: when he reached New York and when he the, got into Times Square? Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, I mean, but he took it really well. He
0: did. I I mean, I was born in the 80s. I live in 2020 and I get sensory overloaded if I'm playing a podcast and my husband puts the TV on at the same time. That's how sensitive I that's how sensitive I am. So I can't even imagine what poor 1940s Steve Rogers was thinking when he ran out to the middle of Times Square. (laughs) I would have just fallen down. Just <laughs> fall into I give up. I curled up into a ball, hands over my ears and eyes. Shit, I would do that now in Times Square.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely a shock for him. Which is probably why he was receptive to fury in the first place. He was still taking everything in.
0: Yeah. And speaking of fury, he makes his little appearance here and is like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry for the sub- subterfuge, but uh
1: we didn't want to take any chances. Yeah, well, it's kind of Fury's way, right? Yeah. And what does Steve say? I had, I
0: had, a, had date. a date. <laughs> oh.
1: Breaks me. Mhm. You'll have And it's such sincerity and heartache in his voice.
0: It is. And it's just oh, it's so it's so rough watching that, but then 5 seconds later I just think, oh, wait, that's right. He got his life. It's okay.
1: Yeah, well, we didn't know that way back when then. I
0: know, but watching it now, I can take comfort in knowing that they had their life together. Yeah. So as we said earlier, Steve isn't the only one who basically comes back from the dead here. Moving on through through the MCU, as all fans know, of course, Bucky is going to reappear as the Winter Soldier, eventually as Bucky Barnes again, once he gets deprogrammed, poor guy. Mm -hmm. As we move forward through the Infinity Saga here in our episodes, we're going to talk a lot about the bond between Steve and Bucky. I think it might just be the strongest bond
1: in the MCU. Yeah, they do. And from what we see, they've gone through a lot, both Apart and together.
0: Yes. They're the only family the other has.
1: Yeah. And they would be, they would stick with each other through thick and thin.
0: And we will see that moving forward. And we haven't mentioned it to this point, but my absolute favorite line from this movie is the two of them saying to each other at various points, I'm with you till the end of the
1: line. Yeah. Yeah and they've said it to each other multiple times they have and and it's not like a cheesy sort of cheesy sort of line that that they say these actors when they do it they really mean it
0: they do they do it's there i love you
1: that's a nice way of putting it yes
0: and i this line resonates with me so much i tear up every time they say it and they do say, it's rare that they say it so it has more impact Right. So much so that I actually have this line tattooed on my calf. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just personally, it resonates so much. And there is a lot, there are a lot of lines like this in the movie. My point being here, this movie has a lot of teachable moments. It has a lot of lessons that I think people could really use right now. Like? A big one is to stand up to bullies. And another is to not be so quick to judge people based on how they look, but to take a closer look into their character.
1: And I think another one could be about the choices that we make, how even simple choices that we make in our lives can have a major impact.
0: Yes. Small choices leading to big progress. Yeah. You know, living, living with integrity I think think most people would agree that there's a major lack of integrity going on in our world. And if we all kind of look at Steve as a role model and think, what is it that I personally
1: can do to make this world a better place?
0: Yes. He made a choice to do his part just from an individual standpoint. If more people made the choice to fulfill their potential to live with integrity the way Steve Rogers did. God, we could fix this world, people, one at a time. So with that said, everybody, please tell us, what do you think are some other really important lessons that we can take away from Steve and Bucky and
1: Peggy? Well, my biggest takeaway is that if I can, I will always kiss Natalie Doma.
0: Uh, asterisk... Assuming the opportunity presents itself and she gives her consent.
1: Well, that is true, yes.
0: I feel like that needs to be clarified with you this week,
1: Missy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Email us at themarvelousmadams at or let us know on Twitter or Instagram at MarvelMadams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madame Amy. Assemble with us next week as we wrap up phase one of the MCU. Yeah,
0: we're covering a little small independent film that came out in 2012. Maybe you've heard of it called
1: The Avengers. And visit us at themarvelousmadams.com, where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. Peggy, right?
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what do <the fuck laughs> you think I'm talking about? <laughs>
1: Well, I don't know. I thought maybe I'd be sarcastic. I just wanted to make sure.
0: <laughs> really? You yelled boobs in an episode. You have to wonder who I are talking about? I was hoping you'd forget. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs>